This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to More Than Amuse podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern-day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Welcome, everybody, to More Than Amuse podcast. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. And we're wrapping up the end of Women's History Month. Of course, we're still going to continue learning about women's Talking history. Talking about women's history, yes. <laughs> but we thought it would be fun to kind of do, a, I guess this is, what do you, could you call it a landmark episode? Yeah, with the overview of feminism and how yeah. the arts and feminism have intertwined and throughout all of time. All of history. It'll be a very <laughs> thorough episode, so buckle up. We'll make this as short as possible and just, you know, casually go over the entire history of yeah. feminism and in the world. And in uh, yeah. an hour. Congratulations. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> we'll make this as informative as possible. An entire semester-long class in one class period. Absolutely. Speed round. <laughs> Anyways. Well, obviously, we can't get into all of it as much as we would love to, but we're going to try. And the thing that I loved about researching for this episode is that the amount of things I wrote in my notes app of things that I want to talk more in depth for future episodes. Yeah, same. I'm so excited. Yeah. It literally, like, opened my eyes to so many things that I knew nothing about i think there should be like a history of feminism course that's required like definitely just like history of women that would be great (laughs) just because i don't feel like we talk about this i know and i also i was gonna say i love that we've literally been doing this podcast now for over a year and i feel like i'm still constantly just finding more and more and more that i'm like this is so cool like i always i always get worried and I, i remember when we first started the podcast I remember we were both worried of like oh no are we going to run out of topics Mm -hmm. but the more that we are doing this the longer I'm like oh we literally could go on forever we will never there's no end here yeah Mm -hmm. we will literally never run out of topics which is incredible and also like I think this episode more than ever kind of shows that like we didn't start this podcast because we're experts. <laughs> like, True. <laughs> yeah. Like, neither of us were like, oh, yeah, I took women's studies. I have a degree in feminism or, like, art or music history. And then we're like, let's share our knowledge. This podcast was literally our way to kind of, like, learn about things we wanted to learn about that we didn't learn about. And exactly. then share it with Explore other that. people, too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, we do this because we're learning. Like, we're trying to figure it out for ourselves, too. Which is like sometimes horrifying because I get so scared that I'm going to like say something stupid or like say something just completely wrong. But like, I like that. Yeah, Yeah. we're learning as we go too. And you're just learning with us. And we're just letting you know what we learned every week, which is fun. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. we sit down, we learn a new thing about feminism or a woman in history every single week. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. And you want to know what? My life has improved since I've done oh, that. Oh, one thousand percent. I like mm-hmm. I feel like a better more well rounded person, more knowledgeable. True. 
like more able to actually talk about things and like be involved in like history and pop culture like I feel so much smarter even though I ended college (laughs) anyway so to start off I thought it would be fun to just quickly define feminism and talk about like the reasons why it's a thing Feminism is the belief in social, economic, and political equality of the sexes. That's literally it. It's not saying that women are superior to men. It's not saying that women are deserve more rights in any way. It's literally just social, economic, and political equality regardless of gender. The amount of times I've had to just uh, explain that to people. I know. When I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a feminist. And they're just like, oh, well. And I'm like, oh, okay. How about we look up the definition together and yeah. you can tell me why you're so upset by this stance. Like, women and, then, and, and women men are equal. Do you agree? <laughs> I just, it's so embarrassing. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Just how many times, oh, but why do you have to like call yourself that? Because I believe in this. Yeah. Leave me alone. Anyway. Like I literally believe in it so much. Like why wouldn't I identify that way? Isn't that the point here? Yes. Yeah. Isn't there a quote that we've said before where it's like, I've been a woman my entire life. It would be a disgrace to go against my own rights. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that would be really stupid of me. Um, anyway, uh-huh. but uh, also kind of the reason why feminism is so needed is because throughout all of history, women were confined to a domestic sphere. So they were basically mm-hmm. imprisoned within the role of being in the home they had to cover their heads in public throughout all of the 19th century and friends in parts of germany a husband still had the right to sell his wife even in the 19th century guys that's not that long ago even as late as the early 20th century women could neither vote nor neither hold elective offices in europe and most of the united states i mean on just the united states several territories and states granted women the right to vote before the federal government ever even considered it so in fact utah was the first yeah our home state anyways that's all i (laughs) there's my contribution and then women weren't allowed to conduct business without a man they had to have like a father brother husband legal agent or even their son there in order Mm -hmm. to do business married women could not exercise control over their own children without the permission of their husbands literally they grew the child in their stomach and then fed it from their body and they still can't make any decisions for the child without their husband i mean they're a woman they're stupid yeah apparently so and they had no access to education barred from most professions and it's important to note that even though we're talking about this in the context of feminism taking leaps and bounds within western culture a lot of restrictions Mm -hmm. still continue on women in all of these ways throughout the entire world true yeah i feel like we're definitely yeah. focusing it more so on the western culture lens because yeah. because that's just kind of what i'm most familiar with but mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good point yeah like we are a part of western culture so yes it probably comes up more often for us because it is what we see mm-hmm. and participate in every day but yeah it's definitely a part of everything like every history across the entire world And there's articles on all of it throughout the entire world, too. And the history of feminism. So it's divided into four different waves, which you've probably heard referenced before. First wave, second wave, third, and then currently the fourth. Fourth So just to give you a very brief rundown of each wave of feminism, and then Stani and I are going to take turns 
talking about the waves. Yes. Cool. Give you the basic rundown. The first wave of feminism is basically comprised of the women's suffrage movement of the 19th and early 20th centuries, promoting women's right to vote. Go women. Mm -hmm. That always makes me think of Mary Poppins and the song that the mom sings. And I love that song. So shout out to Mrs. Banks. Anyways, the second wave is the women's liberation movement beginning in the 1960s and campaigned for legal and social equality for women. And then around the 90s is when a third wave was identified, which is kind of characterized by a focus more on individuality and diversity. And then now we're kind of more currently in this fourth wave that started around 2012, which has used social media to combat sexual harassment, violence against women and rape culture, pretty much well known as the Me Too movement that Mm -hmm. we've seen grow throughout the last couple of years. So... And now to dive into all of this. Let's do it. Okay, I will say before we start off, there is a lot of criticism against calling it all like waves of feminism. It's great ways to categorize it, but a lot of people Mm -hmm. are like, that contradicts the fact that feminism has been a part of history since the beginning of it, which we're going to talk about a little bit here. So um, Plato actually argued all the way back in ancient Greece for total political and sexual equality of women which is awesome. Go Go Plato. Um, He says, (laughs) are dogs divided into he's and she's or do they both share equally in hunting and keeping watch in in the other duties of dogs? Or do we entrust to the males the entire and exclusive care of the flocks while we leave the females at home under the idea that bearing and sucking their puppies is labor enough for them? So I loved that. He was like, no other animal is doing this. Why are we? So what's up with us doing this? Fair, you <laughs> Which know? I think is a great point. There even is a very early organized protest that's documented in the third century where women filled Capitoline Hill and blocked the no entrance. Way. Yeah. And this guy, Marcus Cato, was trying to repeal laws limiting women's use of expensive goods. And he even shouted out, if they're victorious now, what will they not attempt? As soon as they begin to be your equals, they will become your superiors. So the good news is, is like men are very uncreative because they've been using the same arguments for now how many years? <laughs> right. Keep women in the home. And like, if we wow, give is that them what we're kind of hearing still now to this day? Like, all right, let's find a new angle. Guys, it's, it's fine. Li- it's literally so sad. It becomes the same problem over and over again, just told in a million different ways. Like, yeah, what the heck is happening? And then that moves into like Christian medieval Europe. Obviously, their major defense against feminism and equality of women was the original sin of Eve. So, of course, Mm, if we blame all of the falling of mankind and original sin on women, then their punishment is the patriarchy, and therefore they can't. The first feminist philosopher was named Christine de Poisson. She called for women's education as early as 14th and 15th century France. You know, I actually think I read part of her book called like A City of Ladies. Yeah, the book of the City of Ladies. That's awesome. I actually think we're going to do a future episode on her. Cool. Because basically she like had this vision when she was like praying of like, why are women less than men? And like women angels came to her and said, they're not. Yeah. And she wrote a book about her vision. And I read a couple chapters of it. It was very interesting. I love that. Guess up to you to decide if that really happened. I choose to believe it did. I mean, I have literally said that prayer. And (laughs) I didn't have angels appear, but I definitely got the sentiment of, we're not. (laughs) So (laughs) I think God agrees. (laughs) 
Another one is, I am not gonna say her name right, Horatia. She was a German nun, poet, and dramatist, actually. And is considered one of the first female writers from Germany, first female historian, and the first person since antiquity to write dramas in the Latin West. So she's considered a part of like feminist canon, even though feminism wasn't a word back then. The Renaissance, of course, just continued the beautiful problems of all time. Uh, one great example I thought of this, if you want the perfect example of what the culture was like at that time, is William Shakespeare's play, The Taming of the Shrew. Are we pulling some theater here? You have yes. Katerina, who's seen as unmarriageable for her headstrong, outspoken nature, and her mild oh. sister, Bianca, who everyone wants to marry because she's the perfect wife. Um, literally, mm. the entire play is just about taming her into submission. And then that's when the play ends, is he wins and she's subdued. Taming of the shrew. Yeah. There so we go. that's what they viewed women as. Um, and they also started to have a lot of problems with calling women witches. That was the first Salem witch oh. trials, <laughs> punishing and prosecuting women for speaking out or going against restrictions placed on them. Catherine of Aragon, which I've heard her name before, but I didn't remember this. She was the first official female ambassador in European history and actually oh, cool. commissioned a book by Juan Luis Vives arguing that women had a right to education. And then um, other people it brought up with early modern Europe is a Venetian author, Modesta di Pozzo di Fiorze. And also we have an episode on her, Sophonisba Angasola. Yeah. Yeah. And the role that she played with becoming a professional painter, even though she was a woman and how her mm -hmm. and her sisters were all educated to male standards of the time. Marie de Gournay wrote two feminist essays in 1622 and 1626 called The Equality of Men and Women and The Ladies' Grievance, which is awesome. So more books for everyone to read. Um, yeah. The 17th century, the Quakers actually pushed forth a lot of like feminist writing and ideas because they believed in the equality of the sexes as well. And then you had more burning of the witches. <laughs> Burned at the stake for heresy, died for their implicit or explicit challenge to the patriarchal order. So anyone who basically expressed opinions on religion were burned at the stake. Honestly, obviously that could be like a whole episode of the Salem witch trials, but there's tons and of things on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. That's what I'm like. All of these like incredibly interesting things that I'm like, and briefly mention <laughs> yeah. that before we move on. Briefly mention it and then we continue. In the 17th century, more women writers emerged, which we've talked about a little bit, probably later, yeah. but this was like the earlier movement of it. 17th century France saw the rise of salons, which were gathering places for intellectuals. And they were mm. run by women, and they took part of them as artists. And even though they had salon membership, they weren't allowed to write for publication. Oh. Back to that whole idea we've talked about so many times of you're allowed to participate, but only as a hobby, not as a profession. And many authors at the time considered them a threat to the natural dominance of men. Same arguments here. <laughs> Which, honestly, I kind of have a problem. Well, obviously, I have a problem with it. But, I mean, <laughs> if men are so naturally dominant, then why do they have to be threatened? <laughs> I don't get it. And also, like, 
guess what? Women have gotten a fair amount of, you know, equality since then. And, yeah. like, guess what? Like, me- the patriarchy is still intact. So, I like, know. I... Anyways, yeah. yeah. Mary Astle is often described as the first feminine writer, although a lot of people are like, no, she wasn't, because millions of people wrote about feminism beforehand. But she made a huge step in it. Yes. Yeah. And that was in the 17th century. And then she, and we've also had an episode on her, Afra Ben. Yay. Um, They laid into the groundwork for feminist theory in the 17th century and it said here that no woman would speak out as strongly for a whole other century so wow they really like laid the groundwork for a hundred years i guess because then it went quiet for a little go listen to that episode it's definitely like it's an underrated one i think yeah it's really good though yeah amazing and she made like a huge step a lot of it talked a lot about afro ben and how she was vilified by a lot of 18th century writers because they considered her completely Mm -hmm. unfeminine and too manly but uh, Virginia Woolf I don't know if we said this did you say this in the episode or not what Virginia Woolf said about her I feel like I must have but yeah you have it yeah we'll reiterate it just because it's amazing she said all women together ought to let flowers fall upon the grave of Afro Ben for it was she who earned them the right to speak their minds Yep, I remember that quote. So if that doesn't give you enough of a, you know, incentive to go listen to that episode, I don't I know, know what will. Incredible. And then the last one before we move into like women's suffrage was Mary Wollenstone Craft. She was a major feminist writer. She had two feminist like they call them treat treatises. Okay, yeah. Um the first one was a 19 a 1790 pamphlet of vindication of the rights of men. And then she had an unfinished novel, Maria or the Wrongs of Women. She just talked about social and moral equality of the sexes. And her ideas are what a lot of people think shaped the thinking of the suffragettes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Of course, there's like some other people. Briefly, I'll just mention Jane Austen. We have a whole episode on her as well. Look at how many episodes we've done that tie into this. I know. This is making me feel good that I'm like, I recognize a lot of these names. And it's only because of this podcast. Like literally as you go through the whole like history of it, it's like, oh, if you go back and read watch i mean listen to all of our episodes in order of when they were alive like you would get Mm -hmm. like a little brief women's history love that absolutely but yeah jane austen addressed a lot of women's restrictions in the early part of the century as well as a lot of other 19th century women writers which we have another episode on yes (laughs) the horror writers of the 19th century and then that moved in to early feminism with the abolitionist movement and the suffragettes. Some really important suffragettes are Sojourner Truth, Elizabeth Blackwell, Jane Addams, and Dorothy Day. Obviously, there's some problems with the first wave of feminism, along with all of them. No, I think, protest or political campaign is ever going to be completely without fault. We're people. (laughs) It's just kind of part of it. So it did leave out women of color, which is why a lot of the other waves became so necessary. So the first wave of feminism was basically just the campaign for women to have more rights over their children and the right to vote that is just so insane like <laughs> more rights over their children like yeah. that sentence the fact that that was so necessary is just it's crazy yeah literally like one of the simplest things is that in a divorce the husband always got the kids and the mm. women wanted the right to keep their children 
which is kind of crazy to think about now because I think in most cases, especially in Utah, they defer to the wife. To the wife now, yeah. So it's crazy that it was ever different. Judith Sargent Murray published a very early influential essay on the equality of the sexes. More feminist essays continued even by a lot of men, which was really important. John Neal um, published some early writings as well all leading into the 1848 Seneca Falls Convention, which is considered the beginning of the wave of feminism. It's hard to sum all this up, guys. (laughs) I wish that we had all the time in the world to go over everything because it's so interesting and incredible, and I highly recommend everyone... Like go and honestly, read more I'm about like this. maybe next March. Let's just have an episode for every wave because yeah, I honestly just so think much. we should. Because like I would love to sit here and talk about the Seneca Falls Convention the entire time, but I oh yeah, I I can't mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is a brief episode. <laughs> so yeah, maybe we'll do more next March and go more into the history of it all because it's really interesting and really incredible. And then we'll have more time to research too. But true anyway so um what is kind of outstanding about the first wave of feminism is that it wasn't it was considered so radical and yet it was extremely moderate and conservative compared to every other wave that's come after um the members were all members of what they called the american Women's suffrage association they wanted to work within the political system And they understood the clout of joining with sympathetic men in order to promote their cause. And so they did a lot of, like, campaigning with a lot of men. Like, it was kind Mm. of uh, appealing to the men in order to get what they needed. Because women didn't have the right to vote. So no matter how many women you had on your side, it It didn't matter. Women didn't have a voice. So what good was that going to do? And that's where a lot of, like, the names that we associate with early feminism come from. Like, Lucretia Coffin. Mott, Elizabeth, Katie Stanton, Lucy Stone, and Susan B. Anthony. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, incredible women, all with their incredible own stories. I heard a little bit about Lucy Stone's life today and teared up because (laughs) she was incredible. Like her husband literally, um, when before he even started dating her, he went to like all of the times she spoke and then like wrote her beautiful letters about how much he believed in what she was saying and like, please, please marry him, even though she... You know, it was kind of against marriage because she was worried it would destroy what she was standing yeah. for. And finally, he convinced her, like, <laughs> and they, like, changed their marital vows so she didn't have to say that she would obey him. And, oh, yeah, like, all of this stuff, like, incredible I stories. I love that I'm like, oh, like, what a sweetheart <laughs> when it's like... <laughs> But that was the standard. You know, the bare minimum. But you're right. Yeah. That, that was standard. That was standard back then. So the fact that they did it different was a major thing. It also like talked about bloomers and how it was such a major thing. And yet like most of them didn't even end up wearing them because they were like, they weren't flattering. <laughs> like we wanted yeah. to look pretty. Like <laughs> It wasn't something that they... You know, they weren't trying to be men. They were just trying to gain equality. They the were rights. literally just yeah. trying to be treated Basic like rights. humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. the audacity. Also something that was crazy, but also really cool, is that they were very connected to the slavery abolition movement, which I mentioned at the very beginning. But a lot of the criticism against first wave feminism is that it left out black women, which was a huge problem. And one of the reasons why this happened, though, is because, and I'm not excusing it necessarily, but like I think the context of the history is really important. During that time, racism was still 
extremely abundant and apparent, right? Like black men couldn't vote. And so while white women were campaigning for the right to vote, black men were also campaigning for that same right. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is they joined together kind of to bring more force behind it where it was like, okay, black men were like, yeah, let's let the white women vote and at the same time let us vote. And then the white women said, sure, because they met and started discussing these ideas because of anti-slavery. Like literally the reason feminism came about was because of the abolitionist movement because they met at those rallies. All of these women who went on to become the suffragettes were first like abolitionists promoting equality for race. Like they very strongly believed in it. But the problem was is that they didn't want to get left behind. Uh, Specifically, Mm. Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton were really worried that if they granted black men the right to vote, it would create an aristocracy of sex and basically create a constitutional idea that men were superior to women because it would mean that all men were able to vote before any women could. Which, I mean, no, that's not perfect, you know, to be like, but they're black, so we should be able to vote first because we're white. You know, but like when you look at the history of the time, that was like really crazy to them to consider the fact that someone of a different race wouldn't even be, would be able to vote before they even could just because of their gender. And so when they joined together, uh, specifically with like Frederick Douglass, Um, and other people who are part of both movements. It created this connection between the two, which was great because they were worried about antagonism between black men and women, like worried that it would cause some problems if black men could vote before. But because they joined together, it was a way for them to kind of compromise and create like this chance (laughs) for them both to get what they wanted. But the sad part of that is that it ended up leaving out that intersectional group of African-American women. With, and that's just like so crazy, though, that they would be like, <laughs> I don't know, that they wouldn't take the time to be like, wait a minute. But if, you know, but if we can vote like there are black women, they should be able to vote, too. Like they are yeah. also women. So, yeah, it's, it's like hard to imagine what that time period would have been like. I feel like that's why we're so critical of history a lot of the times, because it's like, well, with everything we know, like, mm-hmm. why weren't they thinking about that? But like, they didn't even have the right to vote. They were having a hard time even being viewed as humans. Black men were dealing with the same problem, and they literally just were like, it's too much of an issue to throw in another group that's even more marginalized. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is wrong, of course, but like, uh Anyway, it's just what happened. Like Mary Church Terrell even said, my sisters of the dominant race stand up not only for the oppressed sex, but for the oppressed race. But of course, Hmm. it was only black men that ended up. However, lots of African-American women were still involved in the women's suffrage movement. Um, Sojourner Truth was like a major influential advocate of women's rights. They had the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, NAACP, (laughs) which uh, had a lot of African-American women marching with their respective states for women's rights without any other problems. Like they weren't discriminated from being a part of the movement. 
just in the end they didn't end up getting the same things out of the movement that white women did even like susan b anthony and elizabeth katie stanton wrote a history of women's suffrage that they published in 1881 and it did not give adequate recognition to the black women that were responsible for helping that change there's a speech by sojourner truth that i love actually posted a quote today on my story (laughs) at a meeting while men jeered at trusting the vote to women so helpless that they had to be lifted over mud puddles and handed into carriages a proud feminist named sojourner truth raised her arm look at my arm i've plowed and planted and gathered into barns and ain't i no woman and i could work as much and eat as much as a man when i could get it and bear the lash as well i've borne 13 children and seen most of them sold into slavery and when i cried out with my mother's grief none but jesus helped me and ain't i a woman wow yeah basically just saying like hey not all women are delicate little flowers like we're just as strong which and like i've been through very serious things another one of sojourner's truth speeches at the american equal rights association in new york she said if colored men get their rights and not colored women theirs you see the colored men will be masters over women and it will be just as bad as it was before. So they were speaking out. They were fighting as hard as they could. The end of the first wave is often linked with the passage of the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution in 1920. (laughs) Guys, that was literally only 101 years ago, (laughs) which of course that's a big deal, but 101 years, that's that's as long as women have been able to vote. It was a major victory, of course, it also included reforms for higher education in the workplace and professions and in healthcare. Women were able to start serving on school boards and local bodies, and numbers kept increasing. Women were also able to gain access to higher education, attending leading medical schools, and this also opened the doors for a lot of colleges to start admitting women members, which is a huge thing, of course. And then some of the other things that they were really pushing for was marital laws. And so a Matrimonial Causes Act in 1923 gave women the right to the same grounds for divorce as men. Because women did not have that (laughs) before. That's so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And that kind of moves us into the second wave, which I think, didn't I read that like the feminist mystique is considered like the grounds for the beginning of the second wave of feminism? Yeah, I think so. Which I've read the book, The Feminine Mystique. And listen... I I truly think that it was unawakening. I already identified as a feminist and whatever, Mm -hmm. but I love that book. (laughs) Yeah, literally, I I started reading it today. I'm already very far in. (laughs) I I could not stop. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah, and there was a quote on like the Amazon thing from someone, and I want to read it really. Oh, please do. Ariana Huffington from Oprah Magazine said, if you've never read it, read it now. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you it's just, it's required reading as a woman, I feel. And Seriously, as a human being. I it, mean, just read it. It should have been a required thing in, co- uh, not college, well, college if not high school, but I really think we all should have had to read it in high school. It would not have been appreciated. That's true. Maybe college then. I don't think I would have even appreciated it as a 16-year-old, but who knows? I think I would have. Who knows, Maybe, maybe my awakening would have happened a lot yeah. earlier, and there goes a lot of my trauma. Who knows? Say, you could have woken up a whole lot sooner. Who knows? Anyway, I'm going to read it to my children as a bedtime story. <laughs> well, I have to say that when my now husband and I started dating, I read that book 
when we were still dating and I was like, you have to read this. And he did. So ladies don't settle for a man who wouldn't read the feminine mistake for you literature. <laughs> we have no time in our life for men like that. Anyway, not. So starting with the second, well, not starting with continuing with the second wave of feminism, 1960s through the light 1980s. Basically it was just a period of feminist activity that lasted two decades. It took place throughout the Western world and aimed to increase equality for women by building on, of course, the previous feminist gains and those who came before us. Obviously, the first wave feminism focused mainly on suffrage and overturning the legal obstacles to gender equality, mm-hmm. voting rights, property rights, things like that. Second wave feminism basically just broadened the debate to include a wider range of issues, sexuality, family, do- domesticity, the workplace, reproductive rights, male-dominated institution, culture mm-hmm. practice throughout society. Second-wave feminism also drew attention to the issues of domestic violence and marital rape, created yeah. rape crisis centers and women's shelters, brought about changes in custody laws and divorce laws. Feminist-owned bookstores, credit unions, and restaurants were among the key meeting spaces and economic engines of the movement fun fact the term second wave feminism itself was brought into common practice by a journalist named martha lear in a new york times magazine article in march 1968 titled the second feminist wave what do these women want (laughs) and she wrote proponents call it the second feminist wave the first having ebbed after the glorious victory of suffrage and disappeared finally into the great sandbar of togetherness so i thought that was cool that it was like actually named the second wave when it was going on and I feel like people always associate like feminism with like, you know, the 1960s protests and bra burnings and <laughs> all of that. But yeah. it was very important what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm actually going to focus on a lot here with this is how like arts and music were kind of played a role here in second wave feminism. So Second wave feminism viewed, of course, popular culture as sexist. So I think that that's a difference between the first and the second wave. I think the first wave was like trying to work within the system. Yeah. Whereas the second wave was like trying to very much divide themselves from the system and pointed out how the system in itself was patriarchal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, They kind of created a pop culture of their own to counteract this. One project of like second wave feminism was to create positive images of women to act as a counterweight to the dominant images circulating in popular culture and to kind of raise women's consciousness of their own oppressions. There is a song called I Am Woman by Australian artist Helen Reddy and that played a large role in popular culture and became a feminist anthem. I listened to that song as I was finishing up my... Is it the one that's viral on TikTok? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No. That's immediately what no. comes into my head. <laughs> literally same. That's what came into my mind as well. Um, but no, but go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to listen to it. But I feel like it's got a very similar energy to the one that is viral oh, okay. on TikTok. <laughs> um, but she kind of became known, this Helen Reddy became the feminist poster girl or just like a feminist icon. She kind of told interviewers that the song was a song about pride, about being a woman. Let me just read to you the lyrics. 
Because I'm just hearing the TikTok one in my head. I am woman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's similar in concept, but here are the lyrics. <laughs> I am woman, hear me roar, in numbers too big to ignore, and I know too much to go back and pretend, because I've heard it all before, and I've been down there on the floor, and no one's ever going to keep me down again. Oh, yes, I am wise, but it's wisdom born of pain. Yes, I've paid the price, but look how much I gained. If I have to, I can do anything. I am strong, strong. I am in invincible i am woman you can bend but never break me because it only serves to make me more determined to achieve my final goal and i come back even stronger not a novice any longer because you've deepened the conviction in my soul and then it has that chorus again and then i am woman watch me grow set me standing toe to toe as i spread my love and arms across the land but i'm still an embryo with a long long way to go until i make my brother understand Oh, yes, I am wise, but it's wisdom born of pain. Yes, I've paid the price, but look how much I've gained. If I have to, to, I can face anything. I am strong. I'm invincible. I am woman. Which is just the best lyrics ever. So, yeah, similar in concept to the TikTok song, but this is like the OG feminist anthem. I wonder, that's probably where the other one got its inspiration Yeah, I'm wondering if that's, yeah, if they did that, Mm -hmm. which would be really cool. The song was released in 1972. Um, A few weeks after it entered the charts, radio stations actually refused to play it. Um, (laughs) Some music critics and radio stations believe the song represented all that is silly in the women's liberation movement. Oh my gosh. Um, But she began performing the song on numerous television variety shows. As the song gained popularity, women began calling radio stations and requested to hear it. And the song re-entered the charts and reached number one in December of 1972. So, yeah, go listen to that song. It's yeah. freaking good. And I'm, like, surprised that I haven't heard it before, know. you know? That was literally so much of this. I was just like, mm-hmm. why did I never learn this? Why did I not know this? There's another, like, female-founded record label. It was a group of five feminists created the first women-owned and operated record label. They called Olivia Records. I am absolutely doing a future episode on this, um, but they created the record label because they were frustrated that major labels were sh- slow to add female artists to their rosters. Um, one of the founders said it was a chance to create opportunities for women artists within an industry, which at that time had few. Yeah, they pretty much just recorded and released music. Their type of music, though, was initially referred to as lesbian music, <laughs> but came to be known as women's music. However, although Olivia Records was initially meant for women in the 1980s, it tried to move away from that stereotype and encourage men to listen to that music as well. Cities throughout the United States began to hold women music festivals, uh, all consisting of female artists singing their own songs about personal experiences. The first women's music festival was held in 1974 at the University of Illinois, which I thought was cool. Yeah, basically many women around this time began performing hard rock music, which is a traditionally male-dominated genre. And one of the most successful examples include the sisters Anna Anna and Nancy Wilson who formed the famous hard rock band Heart. Love that. Mm -hmm. Another future episode sitting right there. (laughs) Exactly. So I looked up because the first album that Olivia Records put out was an album of feminist songs entitled I Know You Know and I couldn't find it on Spotify. I don't know if like that's like, I, I don't know if what the artist was, but mm-hmm. I did find a playlist that was like Olivia Records. Oh, yeah, it was Olivia, Olivia Records Selects. 
and yeah it's just like music from the 1970s like very feminist a lot of things i've just never even heard of a lot of artists i never heard of but as i was finishing up my research i turned on that playlist so we'll have to share that as far as like within like the art movement um in california female artists during this time mainly worked to create spaces for feminist art instead of just protest protesting male-dominated establishments Co-founders of the California Institute of the Arts Feminist Art Program, Judy Chicago and Miriam Shapiro organized Women House. That was a project launched in 1972 that included various on-state, on-site installations and artworks by feminine, by female artists. Judy Chicago did that very famous dinner party, and we've referenced that work, like that artwork, so many times in yeah, our episodes that basically just highlighted a lot of forgotten women artists and just women of history so i it's really cool that i think you know that's when women were really trying to build up this like women art movements and creating spaces for themselves which i think is really cool within the art world how they were able to do that and finally like take ownership over their own experiences and like say hey it's worth it for me to bring this up and talk about it as far as like criticism of this wave black and working class and poor women definitely were alienated by the main planks of the second feminist wave which largely advocated women's rights to work outside the home and expansion of reproductive rights birth control is like an effect of this wave of feminism like that becoming more wildly used women of color and poor white women in the u.s had been working outside the home in blue collar and service jobs for generations so it's kind of like this thing where it's like a lot of like poorer women they were already working outside of the home yeah and then it was like these more rich you know upper class women were like fighting for that right to do it without really recognizing that a lot of women were like being forced to do this out of necessity rather than like as a right beginning in the late 20th century numerous feminist scholars such as audra lord and winona leduc criticized the second wave in the united states as reducing feminist activity into a homogenized and whitewashed chronology of feminist history that ignores the voices and contributions of many women of color working class women and lgbt women which like goes right along with what you said of like susan b anthony writing that whole history and like forgetting so many of the amazing black women yeah push forward that movement and that's very consistent with this second wave of feminism agreed we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists so today i am spotlighting someone who i actually found because they followed us so if you're listening thanks for being here um but it's feminist.fiction it is a book club out of manchester out of manchester in the uk but yeah it's a feminist fiction book club and i love it so much i think i've mentioned it earlier but i've recently getting been getting a lot back into reading more consistently i'm like reading like two books a month now which i see the book talkers on you know tiktok talking about that they're reading 10 in a month and i feel like silly but hey <laughs> barely read two one. books a month i'm very <laughs> proud of myself yeah that um, awesome. and so if you're looking for more recommendation i feel like because i mentioned i'm very much seeing all the book talk recommendations and i've been trying to look for recommendations that are outside of that you know maybe more of what i would want to read so yeah check out feminist fiction and not only like do they share books but like they also have like writing workshops and playlists and just amazing way like meets it looks like like it looks like it's like legitimate book club that if you're in manchester you could go become a part of it which is amazing yeah so yeah it's i love like looking at through their account they're doing amazing things and 
yeah, if you're starting to read more like me, then there we go. Go check out feminist.fiction. Also, a nice little sub shout out for that is one of the founders, Megan Sinclair. She's an Mm. artist in the UK and her profile has a bunch of her art on it and it's incredible. Oh yeah, there we go. Perfect. Yeah, it actually looks like she has a bunch of like architectural drawings and stuff. Incredible. So that's awesome. Founder and artist. I wanted to quickly spotlight a watercolor artist I've been following for years, but I don't think I've spotlighted her here on on here. Her name is Polina Bright. Um, and her username is just Polina.bright. Um, I can't remember what country she's from, but it's somewhere in Europe. And she does portraits in watercolor of mainly women with like animals or flowers, and they're beautiful. I found her when I was taking a watercolor class and literally tried to do her form of portraiture, and it's ridiculously hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Takes a ton of talent. She does like lots of cool stuff with like shading and like different circles and layers upon the photo. And I want to buy a ton of her prints. She did a series of like women with different animals and I think they're on her website but they were incredible yeah I'm looking at her account this is this is beautiful so she just has a bunch of stuff I know she does prints stickers and even has like tutorials on YouTube like she does a ton of educational things as well and it's just beautiful so check out her stuff it looks like she even has a sale going on right now oh and i forgot she sells brushes she made her own watercolor brushes and she sells them because she didn't like the ones that everyone else had her using oh that's cool yeah oh here we go this is my favorite series she has a section on her website called blindfolded and it's basically women with like different flowers or animals and stuff over their eyes um so there's like poppies tulips peonies chem chamomile beta fish chameleons and they're just really Mm. really cool but yeah so very very cool i love all of her stuff her videos are so calming so check her out yeah and in case this is the first episode that you're listening to or if you know this is a newer episode um we take a break between each podcast episode to just to spotlight amazing artists that we found on social media so yeah we have an instagram highlight as well that you can go through and look at a lot of the ones we have spotlighted which They're is not always all fun on there because i am a flawed human but <laughs> but a lot of them are a lot there's of a lot are. of amazing artists yes and yeah and it, we always love it when people message us art accounts i realize people will message us and i'm not always the best at actually sharing so if you have in the past um told me to check someone out and I didn't I'm so sorry I'm not the best at keeping straight of dms but yeah I appreciate it none of the less <laughs> it's hard too because like there's two of us on the account so sometimes I'll read one or Sadie will read one and then we lose we track yeah. of who read what <laughs> we need a system but we're working on it <laughs> it's just us guys this the entire organization more than a muse is just two people so <laughs> we do everything so still working on our system oh also i was gonna mention we follow everyone we spotlight so if you want to find more artists you can always just scroll through our following list too of who we're following um because yeah we've followed everyone we've ever talked about all right now back to the show which is why the third wave was so important (laughs) yeah (laughs) the third wave was 
focused on individuality and diversity, which of course was extremely needed at this point, um, and took place from the 1990s to the 2000s primarily. I think it's probably the shortest wave, but I think it's because it was a major buildup of a lot of things that needed to be done anyway. It saw a lot of intersectionality, like I talked about, allowing more women from other backgrounds and cultures to come in. Um, new feminist currents and theories, vegetarian ecofeminism, sex positivity, trans feminism, and postmodern feminism. One of a feminist scholar named Elizabeth Evans, <laughs> I loved this quote, she said, the confusion surrounding what constitutes third wave feminism is in some respects its defining feature. So <laughs> kind of the fact that they weren't sure exactly what all it was a part of, and that's kind of what made it what it was. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> the term third wave is credited to Rebecca Walker, who responded to an African-American judge, Clarence Thomas, being nominated for and confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States in 1991. She responded to that appointment in an article in Mrs. Magazine, which is awesome because Mrs. Magazine actually had a female art director for quite a few years. I did a project oh, cool. on her anyway incredible graphic designer but in this article titled becoming the third wave in 1992 she wrote so i write this as a plea to all women especially women of my generation let thomas's confirmation serve to remind you as it did to me that the fight is far from over let this dismissal of a woman's experience move you to anger Turn that outrage into political power. Do not vote for them unless they work for us. Do not have sex with them. Do not break bread with them. Do not nurture them if they do not prioritize our freedom to control our bodies and our lives. I am not a post-feminism feminist. I am the third wave. I freaking love that quote. Also, I wonder how much faster women's rights would happen if we just refused. We refused to have sex with men who did not support it. Like if if we as women were united in that, which granted would require a lot of women to also change their mind on feminism, <laughs> yeah. but things wow. would get done a lot faster. <laughs> but also Sadly. the amount of times that it's like, even I am like, I'm dating someone and it's like, oh yeah, I mean like they say sexist things all the time, but like, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Like the amount of times it's like, no, it's not okay. It's, I know. And it wasn't okay that I was putting up with that. I, I no. shouldn't have done that. It's not. You've got to call people out. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I need to remember that too i <laughs> like, know it's so important and another note on clarence thomas that judge who had been confirmed to the supreme court she actually had a lot of problems with sexually harass sexual harassment before that too which of course no one deserves so yeah kind of just continued this movement uh one thing i was gonna say about your thing that i forgot i think there was like a revolution in history if i remember where the women just literally refused to cook and clean and have sex with their husbands until they did what they wanted them to do and i, I mean it was like the shortest protest over and it ended really fast <laughs> because they were like okay we can't do anything without you i'll have to see if i can find it at some point because i don't remember what it was That's, exactly i mean it's pretty iconic yeah Another thing that Rebecca Walker talked about in this article was that third wave feminism was not just a reaction, but a movement in itself because feminist cause had more work ahead. This is when the term intersectionality, which is incredibly important, and I don't even know if it's as well known as it should be even now. It was introduced by Kimberly Kreshna in 1989, and this is when that whole concept really began to flourish. 
uh, intersectionality, we've mentioned it a few times, but it's just the idea that women experience layers of oppression. So like Mm -hmm. a black woman has to deal with sexism and racism. A black poor woman has to deal with sexism, racism, and classism. Just like that there's layers put upon. And acknowledging that like that is not the same as an upper class white woman who's like. Only dealing with sexism. Like there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, no, every, like every woman's still dealing with sexism, but they are also dealing with multiple other layers of isms Oppression. and prejudices yeah. against them that are just make the fight even harder than it, mm-hmm. it should be. Also, what was really cool about this time period is because of the internet, um, a lot of blogs and e-zines began to get pushed forward um, that were focused on abolishing gender role stereotypes and expending expanding feminism to include women with diverse racial and cultural identities. I think that's one thing that the internet has been incredible for is that it allows more people from all backgrounds to be a part of it. Kind of theoretically evens the playing field. Yes. Theoretically. Another major feminist movement during this time was the Riot Girl movement. Which we have an episode on. <laughs> we do. And we have a book episode on it. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about the Riot Girl movement. Yeah, we have. And it was an incredible thing. Um, it was a feminist punk subculture, mainly in the Pacific Northwest in the 1990s. And it was just reclaiming the word girl and allowing women to like be a part of movements that were traditionally not feminine they also did a ton of zines uh, focused on viewpoints of adolescent girls which i think is really cool that's something that hadn't really been focused on before then like the experience of growing up as a woman as Mm -hmm. a teenager they also talked about rape patriarchy sexual sexuality female empowerment and especially like women in music was a huge thing for them with like bikini kill um, yeah and all those other bands so yeah definitely check out that they had their whole manifesto of like what a riot girl is and more about it it's incredible so it was a wonderful movement that came about we also have an episode with a music blog called girl music we talk a little bit more about that they have a playlist that we've linked i think it's still linked in those show notes Mm -hmm. for that episode so it is a lot of information that we have that's really cool it is it's an incredible thing in 1992 it was dubbed the year of the woman <laughs> because four women were entered into the United States Senate to join the two that were already there, which is a very monumental moment. The following year, another woman, Kay Bailey Hutchinson, wrote a special election, won a special election, <laughs> bringing the number to seven. And the 1990s saw the first U.S. female attorney general, Janet Reno, and secretary of state, Madeleine Albright, as well as the second woman on the Supreme Court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, bless her heart and soul i adore that woman if you haven't seen the movie on the basis of sex go watch it right now (laughs) i i did love that movie it's so good and the first u.s first lady hillary clinton to have had an independent political legal and activist career amy richards defined feminist culture for the third wave as third wave because it's an expression of having grown up with feminism which is cool and an important thing to note that like third wave feminists grew up with second wave feminists Mm-hmm. as parents and so it kind of created this um, continuation of things that they already were seeing but in a in a different way diane alam wrote in an essay titled generations academic feminists in dialogue 
She said this problem manifests itself when senior feminists insist that junior feminists be good daughters defending the same kind of feminism that their mothers advocated. Questions and criticisms are allowed, but only if they proceed from the approved brand of feminism. Daughters are not allowed to invent new ways of thinking and doing feminism for themselves. Feminist politics should take the same shape that it has always been assumed. Which I love that too, because I think it shows that like each wave was kind of a pushback against whatever the previous definition of feminism had become. And I think that that's something that definitely continues into today as well. That you can't just be like a second wave feminist. You have to be like all of the waves. Like if you believe in the women's right to vote and the women's rights for like sexual freedom and the women's rights for diversity you know like it builds upon it it's all part of the same thing same movement yeah yeah and then Rebecca Walker also wrote about her fear of rejection by her mother and her godmother for challenging their views on women and said young women Mm. feminists find themselves watching their speech and tone in their works as to not upset their elder feminist mothers there is a definite gap among feminists who consider themselves to be second wave and those who would label themselves as third wave Although the age criteria for second wave feminists and third wave feminists is murky, younger feminists definitely have a hard time proving themselves as worthy feminist scholars and activists. And I love that, especially like, you know, with things today, I think it's hard too, even as a woman now to be like, yeah, I'm a feminist. And then then it's like, but what makes me qualified? You know, like I don't have to march mm -hmm. in the streets for rights. You know, it's, it's a little different. Some other like pop culture things that came to during this time were really important are, have you heard of the the vagina monologues? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually saw a performance of it at UVU when it came through on tour a little while ago. Oh, really? Yeah. They had like the original ones from the actual play. And then they also had like some modern ones that women from the area wrote. Oh, Um, cool. It's really cool. It's definitely for adults. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It it talks about rape, domestic violence, and sexual harassment, and just kind of like the point of view of a woman and her vagina. Um, But it was really incredible, like actually talking for the first time about things like that, and it premiered in 1996. So, yeah, if you can read the play, I'd recommend it to anyone. I think it's great. And also, if you can see a performance, it's even more moving to hear them out loud. And then another thing that happened was there's actually this whole thing called like slut walks, (laughs) which (laughs) I did not know about this. But in uh, April of 2011, a Toronto police officer remarked that women should avoid dressing like sluts in order to not be victimized, um, which, you know, has been a constant thing. I definitely heard it throughout my entire childhood. Life. Like, yeah, me too. That you were asking for it if you dressed a certain way and everything like that. So women dressed in scantily clad outfits and went out in protest. Um, and that was called slut walks to kind of just bring Good. awareness to regardless of how you're dressed, you still deserve rights. And deserve to not be yes and the other part that i think is really cool and kind of a major turning point in third wave feminism was girly feminism a lot of the times feminism has been associated in the past with women trying to become men in order to be equal um i think that's also why second wave feminism had a lot of like criticism of being lesbian And first wave feminism, they complained about them wanting to wear pants or anything like that. Third wave feminism kind of brought around the idea of you could be girly and wear pink and like lipstick and still be a feminist. Mm -hmm. And there was even a writer who talked about the fact that both the hijab and the belly shirt were dress choices. 
but both, even though they caused controversy and could be considered like opposing forms of expression, could also be symbols of political agency and resistance to objectification, which I thought was incredible that she was saying like the hijab, like choosing to cover yourself up could be like that same thing, like opposing objectification, whereas the belly shirt could also do that just in a different way, where you're also opposing objectification by being more. And just talked about how it was like an act of resistance either way and helped broaden the idea of female sexuality and both were regarded as valid forms of self-expression. So I loved that. that. Essentially after this, there was kind of just like this amazing belief that everything was solved and feminism has ended and there needs to be nothing else left and that's what this like idea of post-feminism was after this obviously that's not the case because there was indeed a fourth wave i think maybe more widely known as the hashtag me too movement so the fourth wave feminism is a feminist movement that began around 2012 as i mentioned earlier characterized by the focus on the empowerment of women the use of internet tools and intersectionality the fourth wave seeks greater gender equality by focusing on gendered norms and the marginalization of women in society i think it's like more pointing out you know yeah just like the way that it seeps into everyday life and like almost like the nuance i think behind Mm -hmm. a lot of things nuance meaning like i didn't i don't mean nuanced but i just mean like how integral like it almost like all this is you know fourth wave feminism became a movement for women to speak up and share their experiences online about sexual abuse sexual harassment sexual violence the objectification of women and sexism at the workplace by using the hashtag to give away the individual or individuals the internet gave women the opportunity for their voices to be heard around the world in a matter of seconds like i said it's like the internet obviously theoretically you know internet definitely has its preferences with who it you know pushes out and things like that but it was almost like the first time there was like a universal platform that offered all women the opportunity to speak freely about their sensitive topics and to tell their stories and also like on their own time and on their own terms which i think is also like a very empowering thing to have that ability to do that and so yeah women all over the world began sharing their personal stories and i think that it made people realize the magnitude of the problems and how it was happening everywhere and how it was still happening, even though we all thought that feminism was quote unquote solved, you know? And then of course, intersectionality and interlocking systems of power were very emphasized, how these contribute to the social stratification of these marginalized groups, um, such as women of color, trans women, you know, women who were just in the LGBTQ community, fourth wave feminists, like earlier feminists advocate for greater representation of these groups in politics and businesses argue that society would be more equitable if policies and practices incorporated the perspective of all people with you know this variety of backgrounds fourth wave feminism argues for equal pay for equal work still um (laughs) and that the equal opportunities sought for girls and women's should extend also to boys and men to overcome gender norms so i think that like yes this is also the first time that we're maybe acknowledging that like feminism is also saying that there are issues that men and boys are and so let's encourage boys to be more sensitive to be more emotional and that's actually going to help feminism and help women move forward like that's also very important too i actually that's one of my favorite parts of fourth wave feminism is just the fact Mm -hmm. that it's like hey men 
it's okay to cry. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. it's okay for guys to wear pink or, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so much more that goes into feminism than just getting equality for women. It's also, like, making yeah. sure men feel like they can express themselves as well. Mm-hmm. That, like, emotions are able to be, like, more of a part of life for everyone. Like, there's just so much yeah. more benefit for everybody involved. It's really cool. <laughs> and it's always, like, my favorite, like, when people love to fight me on it of like oh well, what about men men have like their issues too like things aren't fair for men and it's like yeah exactly like I feel like that's you know yeah that's the point here it is the point like let's fix the system so everyone's mm-hmm. doing good <laughs> exactly that would be really nice <laughs> the actual phrase me too was initially used in like this context on social media in 2006 actually um Mm -hmm. on myspace bisexual assault survivor and activist named tarana burke harvard university published a case study on burke called leading with empathy tarana burke and making the me too movement which i really want to go read that the purpose of me too as initially voiced by her as well as those who kind of like adopted this is to empower sexual sexually assaulted people throughout through empathy and solidarity, through strength in numbers, especially young and vulnerable women, by visibly demonstrating how many have experienced sexual harassment, especially in the workplace. Following the exposure of numerous sexual abuse allegations against Harvey Weinstein in October of 2017, Mm. this movement began to spread virally. As a hashtag on social media, October 15th of 2017, American actress Alyssa Milano posted on Twitter, if all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote Me Too as a status we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem saying that she had gotten the idea from a friend and then a number of hope high profile posts and responses from celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow um, Ashley Judge Jennifer Lawrence and Uma Thurman among very many others soon followed what's crazy is the phrase me too was tweeted by by Milano in October 15 to 2017 and that has been used more than 200,000 times by the end of the day it was also tweeted more than 500,000 times by October 16th so a day later yeah um and the hashtag was was used by more than 4.7 million people in 12 million posts during the first 24 hours on facebook um the platform reported that 45 percent of users in the united states had a friend who had posted using the term like 12 million posts that were attached to this me too movement (sighs) and this is like just within the first day Mm -hmm. like and I've since seen so many others that have come out. And that was in the first oh, day. Oh, yeah. It's incredible the effect it had, like truly. And that's why mm-hmm. I think a lot of people consider it like the push of the fourth wave. Just because, oh my gosh, like how much stuff came out about like sexual assault. And yes, like the workplace and how toxic it is for women, you know. And that was only a couple of years ago, like 2017. Like what, four yeah. years ago? Well, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Like I think it's like it's it's crazy for me to have been like a fully functioning adult I mean fully functioning but you know what I mean like an adult and watching this happen and almost like seeing how other women talking about their experiences helped me put my own experiences in a different light Mm -hmm. and realize oh that wasn't okay and I think that's what happened for a lot of women of like when someone else was like describing a situation and you're like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. How could that have happened to you? And then you take a step back and you're like, wait, that's what happened to me. And I think it, I mean, for me personally, like 
seeing these tweets and like hearing these stories, it was like very um, transformative, mm-hmm. honestly. And like, like I said, like with that solidarity, like I think that is so important and as heartbreaking it is as it is that it's so common. Like I think it actually does make a difference and did make a difference that finally so many women were willing to share their stories, whether that be anonymously or, you know, to out their assaulter. And I think both are, you know, obviously equally as brave, I think, honestly. Definitely. I remember like I was kind of removed from all of this when it was happening. I was on a religious mission and I didn't have access mm-hmm. to the media, but it kind of made this cool effect of like graduating from high school in one world and then coming back and starting college in what felt like a completely different one in a lot of ways, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Where it was like, oh, okay. So we're actually talking about this now. Like, <laughs> and we're heavens. actually realizing that like <laughs> these things are not okay. Yeah. And obviously like it wasn't shocking to me that like it was a thing, you know, like I feel like mm-hmm. even if you haven't experienced it, the fact that it happened was kind of a, a given like well and also too like I think that like even if it wasn't like as extreme as some of these stories were like I think every woman got like remarks and oh yeah was treated in ways and like was belittled and like was sexually manipulated you know that it was Definitely. like uh, we all related to what was going on just at different extents like mm-hmm. different extremes I think yeah and it was kind of it was so validating to come back like you said as an adult yeah starting like my life as an adult and then realizing like okay more people are aware of this right now than I've ever before and that's incredible mm. it was like the world had been slapped in the face a little bit and yeah. it was very needed but yeah I think it looks like it provided the opportunity of like I think women to feel validated and to feel not so alone and I know that because that's how it made me feel you yeah. know and to be like oh you know that wasn't cool and now moving forward I think it helps, I don't know, it like helped me kind of heal and move on because I was finally able to like acknowledge it and like not be so embarrassed that things were affecting me, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing that like I'm still sad about this or I'm still like not over this breakup. And it's like, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> like that's not what's going on. <laughs> like, you know yeah. what I mean? You've got some layered trauma there that might have more to do with other things. Anyways, yeah. not to get very personal, but <laughs> I am. So that's here we okay. are. It's my podcast. I make the rules. <laughs> well, we make the rules, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I just well, I it's, agree. It's just a way that I think I've particularly been very thankful and like have seen the benefit of these waves of feminism and obviously this like Me Too movement couldn't have existed without all the groundwork that was done even beforehand yeah I agree not done yet though um social media activism definitely you know became a major thing twitter threads became a thing Mm -hmm. hashtags obviously there's also me too but also yes all women bring back our girls not your asian sidekick solidarity is for white women and girl gaze launched by amanda de cadenet is an online multi-sided platform that directly connects businesses companies and brands with women and non-binary creative talents promoting the need for diversity inclusion representation across the creative industry time you know the Mm -hmm. new york times named a group of activists prominent in the me too movement dubbed the silence breakers the silent breakers as its 2017 person of the year and what's so cool about like the art of the fourth wave feminism is like that's just the art that we are seeing Mm -hmm. and i feel like we are seeing a lot of women and paint like musicians painters filmmakers like talking about their frustrations as a woman 
through their art and it's really cool to see that and you know you can just look up feminism and art in pop culture and it's just it's everywhere and it's cool to like be seeing this in lifetime as far as criticism so critics argue that efforts by large corporations such as like dove (laughs) to capitalize on the movement through activist advertising may not be helping fourth wave feminism which tends to be critical of capitalism so and i think it's like a lot of like brands who are maybe using feminism as a you know marketing move yeah as opposed to like a genuine move because it's currently the cool modern thing to believe or whatever <laughs> it's trendy it's also argued that when people participate in internet activism they may not feel the need to do anything else to help the effort i think more so in 2020 especially with the black lives matter movement yeah people were getting like people were having that conversation more of like oh like you're posting a black square on your instagram feed but like what else are you doing like mm-hmm. are you educating yourself are you doing so many things i see so many jokes now whenever there's like a crisis in the world of like oh how long until there's going to be like a cutesy little instagram infographic to go along with this and the truth is is like those things can be very beneficial and i think that like social media is an amazing tool to spread awareness and to talk about things like this but yeah there definitely is now kind of like the instagram activism that is i think of course deserving of the critique yes in 2007 in 2015 which is like six seven years ago at this point Alex Guadardo asserted in an article on Twitter activism and said that people just continue on with their day liking other posts or retweeting. Some may think of themselves as activists while never bothering to attend a rally or extend their message beyond their Twitter fan base. While various feminist campaigns have spread via social media, the term slacktivism (laughs) was coined to describe the mass media users who may speak out on their online platform but do little else to stimulate social action outside of their online platform. And it's kind of tricky because it's like, the truth is, is our online platforms in today's world and society, like it is major, like <laughs> it can be very influential social media, but also, you know, if your daily actions and life does not match, then you suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's really it. Like if you believe in something enough to like retweet it, then you should also be able to, you know, educate your yes. little yourself a little bit more on it and like act on it, you know? Yeah actually call out the stupid sexist comment from the guy you're on a date with yeah don't have sex with the sexist there we go put that on a t-shirt for real right we'll make that a more than amused t-shirt don't have sex with the sexist oh man um yeah i mean like just to wrap up there's like things that i love that are happening in like modern feminism that are incredible like the body positivity neutrality movement mm-hmm. kind oh, of yes. just being accepting of how everyone looks like and just coming to terms with like food's not bad or good it's just you oh know. i think we've seen such a major shift from the early 2000s i mean obviously yeah. from now of like how i was growing up like what we were seeing versus like Definitely. what you can go on tiktok now and be like hey food's good (laughs) let's like eating (laughs) exactly and even just like hearing what I follow like a lot of TikTok moms what they're talking about with their daughters you know and like you know like food doesn't have to be an enemy like eating disorders are so prevalent in women like I just think it's it's incredible that that's becoming a part of feminism too is like yeah our bodies um also I love that like there's just like this union I think between like allowing women to be mothers be housewives or not 
you know, mm-hmm. just kind of this idea that like everything's okay, like as long as she's the one who's deciding. Deciding, yeah. Yeah, just like allowing all women to make whatever choice they want and feel is best for them, regardless mm-hmm. of what that may be. So like maybe it's more of a traditional role, maybe it's less of one, and that that's okay as long as, you know, they have that freedom to choose. Like that's the whole point, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I really love that too. And just other things like that, like more femininity in men is being more allowed. And uh, and also femininity within women, kind of going yeah. back to like what you mentioned, the third wave feminism. I think that's even being more, more pushed of like, yes. hey, you can be girly. Like, it's fine. And like, let's own our femininity and oh say, my gosh. it's cool that I'm basic. <laughs> I totally forgot about this until just now. But there is a TikTok creator who's literally, she's been posting like songs from like the 90s and early 2000s. And, like, talking about how she's the girl in the song that they're talking about that, like, they're making fun of. I don't even know if I could find her name. I wish I could. If I can find it, I'll try and link it later. But um, just, like, how, you know, the whole, like, oh, I'm not a girly girl. I'm alternative. I'm cool. I'm one of the guys is, like, the pick-me girl thing. And just, like, it's okay for women to be cheerleaders and, like... You know, like you don't have to listen to the kind of music that she doesn't like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. That just women are allowed to be involved in feminine and girly things and date guys or not, you know, like there's just so much more freedom. And I think that that's wonderful. I mean, obviously we've got a long way to go, especially as far as like intersectionality and like, yeah, obviously like I'm mainly speaking to what. I'm being affected on and obviously that's going to be flawed and there's so many other women who are you know still dealing with so much more oppression I don't know is that like the right way of saying that you know what I mean so yeah I mean like even within art we've talked about it a few times but just like Mm -hmm. women are earning the degrees but they don't have the top paying positions like yeah there's still a gender pay gap for everybody like even worse for women of color like it's just the fact that you know the wave doesn't mean it's the end if anything, it just means it's It'll be fun to see what the fifth wave is <laughs> yeah. going to do. I'll be and out there participating with my daughters in that fifth wave of feminism. Yes, I will. And, oh, man, I'm ready for it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us with our very mini history lesson of all of feminism. I think this episode will be less than an hour and a half, which I'm, I'm proud of us for doing that. I am, too. We summed up a whole history of the world. I know. I'm women. very proud of us. <laughs> cool. Definitely more to come. If you enjoyed this, like, rate, review. This is a great one to send to people, too, if they, like, don't know a lot about feminism. Maybe are yeah. like, why is it important? And like we've mentioned in the episode, so many of the things we've talked about, we actually already do have full episodes on and so if you enjoyed this episode go check out our other episodes because yeah we've dived into so many different aspects of this and so many amazing people so many amazing artists who have made such obviously very significant differences which is amazing yeah definitely incredible um it's just awesome to see how all the people we've covered like come together in this long fight for women's rights like it makes me more excited to even talk about even more of them which we get to do every single week of the entire year i was gonna say like happy women's history month but come back in april where we dive into even more amazing women more aspects of all of this definitely it's my favorite look at us doing our part i know fighting the good fight <laughs> more than a muse more than a month hey there we go <laughs> that's a good one we, we can put that on a t-shirt as well <laughs> yeah. and go read the feminist mystique 
the feminine yeah. mystique we're gonna literally end up doing a bonus episode on it probably because yeah it's really good now life i have to go life changing so. well bye everyone and we'll be back next week everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body including those involved in hormonal balance from functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.